Welcome to A Wild New Work, Ecological Guidance for Your Career. I'm Megan Leatherman, a career coach, writer, and HR consultant based in Portland, Oregon. This podcast is designed to support you in taking intentional, wise, soul-centered action in your career, and it's all based on the wisdom of nature. Well, welcome again for being, thank you for being here. Um, Today's episode is going to feel really refreshing, I hope, and I think it will offer you some new ideas about how to work with self-doubt and fear. Um, With each episode, I always sort of get quiet and set an intention before recording. And as I'm recording this one, um, Southern California is ablaze in what's called the Woolsey Fire. And so I wanted to dedicate this episode to the hydration and rebalancing of that ecosystem. I just want to intend that all living beings there, um, from the trees that are being burned up to all of the animals that have been displaced, including humans, I just want to intend that they find shelter and safety. Um, If you have been directly impacted by that fire, I wish you protection and peace and um, connection and community there. For all of us watching from afar, may we advocate for the health and regeneration of our entire earth, especially areas like this that have been managed from a worldview of extraction and overdevelopment. Um, I hope that by telling you today more about the gray wolf and what it can teach you about your career, that in some small way, this helps you feel even more deeply connected to our resilient but overtaxed earth today and may each of us um, take steps to support her in her regeneration. I wanted to make the wolves our guides for this month's episode because I found out um, that in July an organization called Cascadia Wild and the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife discovered that there are wolves that have returned to the Mount Hood National Forest, which is just outside of Portland. Um, This is the first time wolves have made this place a home in decades. Um, There are two adults there and two pups. That's what they've seen so far. Um, And something about just knowing they were back well, it was like really exciting. It just felt so reinvigorating to me. And so I've been learning a lot about wolves and um, have just kind of been scrolling pictures and just sort of trying to learn more about this creature. And it's paralleled some changes in my own career. And it just felt like it was a really kind of poignant, beautiful message that I could share in weaving um, our careers with the experience of wolves. Um, So I want to start by just telling you a little bit about wolves. Um, There are only around 112 wolves in Oregon left um, all across North America and in the world. These animals have been nearly decimated because of their um, attacks on livestock, because of their position as a predator. Um, There's a lot of fear around them attacking humans, although that's very rare and often only when there's been rabies. So they're sort of a controversial animal, especially here among the ranching community. Um, Wolves travel in nuclear family packs, just like the two adults and two pups that have been, have come back to Mount Hood. Um, The family packs are usually around five to 11, but there have been major, you know, larger families 
seen all over the world. Oftentimes it's two adults and their offspring until those offspring are adults and they go off on their own. Although there's fluidity, just like in the human population, there are adult wolves that have adopted orphan pups. There are males that are unattached to any family unit and sort of roam and find new territories. There are instances of homosexuality and kind of fluidity between um, the sexes. So it's just like in our population, but I thought that was interesting that that sort of mirrors that, which I think I know is true in any biological population. Um, When a member of the pack dies, wolves experience a profound level of distress seen in higher levels of cortisol pumped in their system. So these are highly social, um, loyal animals that are really committed to their pack and very much connected to them, just like we are. Um, Wolves establish territories and live and hunt within the same territory for a very long time, as long as there's a steady food source. So they have connection to land. They have territories that are set up that where they would stay as long as there was not intervention or outside reasons um, contributing to a decrease in prey. Um, the reason wolves howl is um, there are many different reasons. One can be to call pack members back to them. It could be to send an alarm to other pack members, or it could to be to locate one another. If there's a storm or it's dark or they can't find one another through scent, they will howl to one another to call everyone back into the unit. Um, Wolves are apex predators, which means that they have no other natural predators in their ecosystem. So they live without the fear that so many other animals in the ecosystem experience on a regular basis. And I thought that was really interesting for our purposes today. Um, So that's something that I'll come back to. There was a really interesting um, experiment or, um, yeah, I guess an experiment that happened in Yellowstone National Park. Um, The park was having a really hard time managing the deer population there because they were just overpopulating and they were um, overeating all of these different grasses. They were just sort of out of control. Um, And so the you know, humans had been trying to manage that issue for a long time through population management techniques, but they weren't getting anywhere. And so they actually reintroduced wolves to Yellowstone National Park as a way to try and kind of rebalance things there. And what happened was really interesting. Not only did the wolves positively impact the deer population, but the entire ecosystem changed the end result was that rivers actually changed their course just from the reintroduction of wolves. And there's this whole sort of cascade of changes that occurred because these predators were back in their ecosystem. Um, The wolves force deer and other what are called ungulates or grazers to move out of the valleys and the meadows that have been so over um, eaten or overgrazed. And so they force the deer up further into the mountains, they force them to move to new areas of grass. And so that means that those meadows or those valleys can regenerate. And when the grass and the plants there regenerate, so do pollinators like bees, butterflies, other seed-carrying organisms like birds. 
Um, when the grass and the plants can regenerate, so can the trees. And when the trees regenerate, beavers came back to the rivers um, because they can use the dams there, the wood there to make their dams. And dams actually create habitats for other animals like muskrats, fish, otters, ducks. Um, the wolves also killed coyotes, which meant that rabbits and mice could increase, which meant that there were more hawks, more predatory birds, smaller predators like foxes or badgers and weasels. Um, because these predatory birds were back, um, them and other scavengers could feed on the remains that wolves left. Um, so their, the kill that they would make also fed many, many or other organisms in the ecosystem. Because the wolves drove the deer and the caribou and other grazers away from the areas that had been so constantly overeaten, away from the riverbeds, the trees around the riverbeds could also be reestablished, which stabilized the banks of the rivers and decreased soil erosion, causing them to be more sturdy so that the water, the way the water flowed actually changed. It flowed more strongly, more directly. Um, new pools were formed as a result. So the entire ecosystem benefited from the reintroduction of these animals, these animals that have been so nearly decimated out of fear. Um, and I, th I just think that's so profound, and I think it has major lessons for us as people, but also as people who want to do good work in the world in a way that doesn't drain us. And um, so I want to talk mostly today about what we can learn from the wolves and learn from their part in the ecosystem. In my research, I found a Kiwatan Inuit proverb that says, the caribou feeds the wolf, but it is the wolf who keeps the caribou strong. I think there is within each of us a tension between the part of us that wants to be safe and stable and the part of us that wants to graze in the meadow all day long and the other part of us that wants to hunt and that moves and howls. And this tension gets multiplied and magnified when we create communities like our workplaces. Um, the tension there gets played out on a larger stage, but it always starts inside of us. Um, this tension between the part of us that wants to be sort of safe and stable, um, that wants to graze and just be where we are, and the part of us that knows we need to keep moving, the predatory part of us, that's necessary in order for our ecosystem internally to be balanced and also for our ecosystems externally to be balanced. If there are too many wolves in an ecosystem, the grass won't be eaten and maintained. If there are too many deer, the grass is overwhelmed and the soil erodes. So when there's too much change and movement, nothing can grow. But when there's too much comfort and stagnation, our creative force erodes. The water literally erodes. It doesn't flow as naturally. So in our sort of, quote, civilized culture, we place a really high premium on comfort and stability. I think that's in part because our economic and social choices have created so much instability in the climate around us that as a result, and somewhat understandably, we crave um, comfort and routine in our immediate environments because it feels like the world is such an, a dangerous place in upheaval. But despite that, there remains a part of us that is uncivilized. There's a part of us that still is connected to the wild, to nature's rhythms, to our instinct. Um, 
And I want to share a really beautiful quote from a book called Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, who is a depth psychologist and a storyteller. And um, I highly recommend this book, whether you identify as a woman or female or not. Um, it's, it's written for women, but it's, uh, I think the lessons in it are just profound for all of us. So here's what she writes. To adjoin the instinctual nature does not mean to come undone, change everything from left to right, from black to white, to move the east to west, to act crazy or out of control. It does not mean to lose one's primary socializations or to become less human. It means quite the opposite. The wild nature has a vast integrity to it. It means to establish territory, to find one's pack, to be in one's body with certainty and pride regardless of the body's gifts and limitations, to speak and act in one's behalf, to be aware, alert, to draw on the innate fem feminine powers of intuition and sensing, to come into one's cycles, to find what one belongs to, to rise with dignity, to retain as much consciousness as we can. Wolves and other wild animals or predators scare us because they remind us that we can't control everything. Um, ranchers put fences around the livestock that they claim to own, but it doesn't stop the wolves, and that's incredibly upsetting. Wolves remind us how vulnerable we are. They remind us that there um, are forces at play that we can't control or kill off completely or can't decimate. And the invitation here is to embrace that vulnerability and embody the wild, work with the wild inside of us, not to fight it, not to try and kill it, because it will always come back. You know, humans like to pretend like we are the ultimate apex predators, immune from all of nature. But really, we are just as fragile and vulnerable as any part of this ecosystem. And I think we would do really well to begin tapping into our wild nature, to tap into the part of us that remains uncivilized, un, um, uncontrolled, unfenced in, to get back into our natural cycles, like Dr. Estes says. Um, like I alluded to before, this has been a personal um, process for me in the last few months. Um, there is like you, a part of me that knows that in order to grow, um, I had to be run up, chased out of my familiar grazing <laughs> landscape. I had to be chased out of the valley into higher elevations. Um, and that is really, really uncomfortable. And the way that it shows up for me, at least currently, is by um, losing work that and it doesn't feel like just, you know, losing an opportunity, like it just didn't work out or like, um, there's a, another way I could have done that or a better way to do that. It feels like the universe was really like, no, you will not stay in this valley anymore. <laughs> you will not stay in your familiar comfort zone. We're taking this away so that you can be run up to gain higher perspective. Um, so I've been driven out of the valley of comfort and familiarity in my work that I've been in for a long time. And that's not good or bad. It just is. And I get to decide how I want to react when I am up, you know, in the higher elevation out of the valley. Um, and every time this happens, I grow and create something new. So I know there's value to it. I know it's important, but it's incredibly uncomfortable. And for you, this kind of wolf 
medicine, this wolf part of you, when it runs you out of your valley, sometimes that can look like not getting a promotion. It could look like being ostracized at work, um, losing a job, being laid off or fired. It often looks like loss, like being chased out, feeling hunted or vulnerable or feeling attacked. And again, I'm not saying it's pleasant, just that it's a necessary part of keeping your internal and external ecosystems healthy. I'm also not saying that this is the same as if you've been denied opportunities because you're a minority, not at all. If you feel like a door has been shut because of your skin color, your gender, your sexual preference, religion, or any other component of your identity, by all means, claim your right to be in the valley. Um, But if in your heart you know that it's something bigger, if you know that it's just time to find a different place to graze, a different place to be nourished, um, I encourage you to listen in and to... um, notice your reaction to being run out because it's, um, it's uncomfortable. And I think this is the place where self-doubt can become so crippling. Um, and it's ironic because if the deer stay in the valley or if they stay in the same meadows over and over again, they will die anyway because they will overtax the grass so much that there's nothing left to grow. But it will be a slow death of their own making. Um, And it will take the rest of the ecosystem down as well. So wolves actually give them a chance to survive. Like that proverb said, it keeps the caribou strong because it gives everyone else a chance to regenerate and to um, be balanced in the ecosystem so that it's able to feed all of the organisms there. Um, But if you're like me and you've been run up out of the valley and something just closes and, and it's not available to you anymore, your natural response might be this sort of crippling self-doubt and fear. Um, We can just imagine this lone deer that's been chased and, you know, got away with her life, but is now in unfamiliar territory up on the mountain. And there can be this, um, these loops that happen in our brains that just keep us so stuck and frightened there. Um, Things like, you know, how could this happen again? Why can't I do it right? Why was I run out of there? I'm bad for being run out of there. Or I'm bad because that door shut. Um, Everyone else is doing better than me. Everyone else is able to graze there, and I'm not. Um, It can be resistance to being chased out and anger, like, what right do those wolves have to run me up out of the valley? Um, And so that self-doubt, these mental loops can be really paralyzing and they don't really give us any wisdom to work with. It's just a loop that our brain is on, but it can feel, um, it can feel like we can't do anything else, but bemoan the fact that we're not in that valley anymore. So what, a deer might do if they were foolish or not listening to their instincts, they might go back to the same valley again and just try and go again and again and again without really taking the chance to gain some perspective up on that mountain. Um, and that puts them at risk over and over again of being chased out or hunted or killed. So we get out of this pattern, we get out of the valley and into something better by embodying our wild nature, by listening to our instincts. So if we can be really brave here, 
we would ask ourselves questions like these. What do I sense about this situation? What do I sense with my entire body? You know, if you've been, if something has changed in your career, even if you get the sense that it's a good thing or that it's going to lead to more growth, um, the inclination can be to really analyze it with your rational mind to think, well, you know, I did such and such on my plan, but I guess I could have tried this technique or this technique, or um, maybe it's because um, of such and such budget or such and such economic situation. And we want to stay really intellectual there, but the truth is that we have we can gain a lot of information by just dropping into our bodies and asking our entire selves what just happened there. You have access to a lot more than your mental capabilities. Um, even if you're very smart or very intellectual, try playing around with this concept of, of what you sense about a situation with your entire body. You could ask yourself a question like, what am I hunting? What do I want to pursue? How does it feel to howl under a full moon? What do I want to call back to me? What do I want to locate in the darkness? Are there members of my pack that I want to call in? Do I want to find a new pack? And what are they like? You could ask yourself, how does my power bring balance to the ecosystem? You could ask yourself, what would I do if I were the apex predator here? And not only will you ask those questions, you will surpass the self-doubt and shame by answering them. You can do things like creating the space that you need in order to tap into your senses, which takes time and quiet, and it's hard to do when the TV is on and you're on Instagram and the computer's on and people are shouting in the background. How can you make space for your intuition about a situation? Um, when we're up out of our familiar zones of grazing, when we've been chased out and there's fear, um, we have the choice to gain perspective and to look down onto the valley below and see if we notice anything new. We can trust what we see and smell and taste and hear and touch. Um, we can trust what we sense about a situation. If we're wise and we take the lessons we need to from the wolves, we will hunt and stalk the things that our heart really craves. We will take small, quiet steps closer to them. We don't have to know exactly what they are, but we get to feel led by our heart or intuition or our soul, whatever word works for you. There are things that you want. Um, even if you feel closed off to that part of yourself, there are still things that just call to you in some small way. It could be a color or the way a company's logo looks or um, a certain smell or a memory that just keeps coming up. Those are the tiny clues that we get that our senses give us to follow. Then we have to do something with them. If we learn from the wolves, we will name what it is that we want to call to us. We might literally howl or weep or scream or shout we won't hide our wolf nature. We won't hide our power. We will be open about the fact that a part of us is uncontrollable by our employers, by our culture, by the people around us that make us feel small or like we need to be quiet. 
we might risk being impolite or we might risk being thought of as coarse or um, abrasive. We might decline a meeting because we don't feel like it or because we refuse to deliver something on linear timelines when it's not a linear thing at all. We might eat lunch with our hands or sit on the bare earth during a break. Whatever it is, we remember our true nature. These are the kinds of things that will get your body, get your system out of those loops of the same self-doubt and fear that you experience on a day-to-day basis. And I'm telling you all of this from personal experience. I know how paralyzing the um, shame and the beliefs about ourselves can be. And I haven't found any trick to subvert them other than doing things with my body that may not make sense, but that help me connect to my instinctual wild nature. And it's very small things that connect me to my senses. It's getting out an essential oil that I like or looking at pictures of nature or just moving my body in a new way. It's not, um, it's not trying to think of myself out of the self-doubt that, that never, never works. I think the lesson here is really to embrace our fierceness, to um, allow the things in our lives that are no longer feeding us to be run out, to um, be shaken out of our old habits and routines that keep us stuck and comfortable and small. Um, these are the things that just can't stay anymore if the ecosystem of our lives or our organizations is going to survive and be resilient. So I've talked about this kind of wolf-prey tension on an individual level and how it shows up in our lives and in our careers, but it's true for organizations as well. You know, organizations are made up of people in a dance with their wild nature, uh, many of whom are crippled by doubt and shame and are un- feel unable to deliver fully in their work. So if you are a manager or a talent slash human resources prof- professional, I would encourage you to do two things. One is to notice where there's overgrazing in the organizational ecosystem. So where are what are the areas that are worn out, tired, overdone, where there's no energy left? The places that people have been over and over and over again that really need space to regenerate. These could be things like your employee appreciation routines, your onboarding process, your performance review process, your um, physical office space, the break room, the language that you use to share information with your team, anything that just feels stagnant or any problems that have been um, just overanalyzed to the point of no longer making sense. If you can think of things like this, and I bet you can, I encourage you to embody the wolf pack and clear out that area. Run it out. Get rid of it. Throw it out. Um, Start anew. Let it regenerate. You may want to just stop doing something altogether and see what happens when you just let it die. Um, Or you can hit pause and gain some perspective, make an upgrade. Um, You could upgrade your employee appreciation program. You could revise your onboarding process. You could hit pause on the performance review process until it feels like a more appropriate time or until you've gained more wisdom about what really works in order to um, create 
a creative, innovative space for your employees. Um, you could do smaller things like just changing the furniture around in the break room, reorganizing your office, um, putting a nice sign up in the bathroom, like anything that just clears out some of that stagnant energy. I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. If it feels like there's you're on the other end of the spectrum and it feels like there's constant upheaval in your organization, if it feels like your ecosystem is overrun by wolves, um, then I encourage you to tap into the wisdom of the seasons then and to let something hibernate. Um, If it feels like there's just constant change, commit to not working on something for an entire moon cycle from the new moon to a full moon to a new moon again. Um, You could get your team, even if it's you and one other person, to agree to just see how a a tiny tweak works and notice what happens in the ecosystem as a result. You can start really, really small here. You can give things the space they need to regenerate and just not make any changes, um, but really see what happens when the ecosystem just gets to um, rebalance. Of course, if there are um, predators that have um, overrun the system and aren't letting anything get anchored or settled, who aren't letting other members of the organization graze where they need to gain nourishment, um, you also have a part to play in that. And you can um, shed light on that and and bring it to focus and acknowledge that that's what's happening. You can advocate for those employees who need more time to... Um, try something out in that part of the ecosystem, to really work at something, to be grounded there. Um, Trust your instincts here about what's being overdone, what needs more space and time to regenerate. Um, You know, for each of us, we have to be attuned to the ecosystems that we're in. And it's also a matter of really releasing a lot of control. Um, You know, in Yellowstone, Humans tried to manage the deer population for years and years, but they were never able to do what the wolves did. There wasn't any change that the humans could have make, made that would have rerouted the rivers. That has to happen um, often in spite of our interventions. Um, you know, we like to think that we have a lot of control over what goes on in our communities or in our organizations or in our careers, but the truth is that our work is really to be a stable, good partner for others and to kind of get out of the way when something just needs to regenerate on its own um, and not overanalyze or not be crippled by self-doubt up on the mountain, but to really use it as an opportunity to gain perspective and do the things that get us back into our instinctual um, wolf-like nature. I want to share a story from the same book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, and the story is called La Loba, and it's a short story, and it's a really moving um, um, lesson, I think, about how we can reconnect with our wild parts, wild natures, um, to live lives that are more balanced and natural and in harmony with the earth. So again, this is from Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And this is her um, compilation of a um, story or a fable from um, the Puebla people and people in southwestern North America and in the borderlands of Texas and Mexico. So here's what she writes. 
There is an old woman who lives in a hidden place that everyone knows but few have ever seen. As in the fairy tales of Eastern Europe, she seems to wait for lost or wandering people and seekers to come to her place. She is circumspect, often hairy, always fat, and especially wishes to evade most company. She is both a crower and a cackler, generally having more animal sounds than human ones. They say she lives among the rotten granite slopes in Tarahumara Indian Territory. They say she is buried outside Phoenix near a well. She is said to have been seen traveling south to Monte Alban in a burnt-out car with the back window shot out. She is said to stand by the highway near El Paso or ride shotgun with truckers to Morelia, Mexico, or that she has been, been sighted walking to market above Oaxaca with strangely formed boughs of firewood on her back. She is called by many names, La Hisuera, Bone Woman, La Trapera, the, the Gatherer, and La Loba, Wolf Woman. The sole work of La Loba is the collecting of bones. She is known to collect and preserve especially that which is in danger of being lost to the world. Her cave is filled with the bones of all manner of desert creatures, the deer, the rattlesnake, the crow, but her specialty is said to be wolves. She creeps and crawls and sifts through the montañas, mountains, or arroyos, dry river beds, looking for wolf bones, and when she has assembled an entire skeleton, when the last bone is in place and the beautiful white sculpture of the creature is laid out before her, she sits by the fire and thinks about what song she will sing. And when she is sure, she stands over the criatura, raises her arms over it, and sings out. That is when the rib bones and leg bones of the wolf begin to flesh out and the creature becomes furred. La Loba sings some more and more of the creature comes into being. Its tail curls upward, shaggy and strong. And La Loba sings more and the wolf creature begins to breathe. And still La Loba sings so deeply that the floor of the desert shakes. And as she sings, the wolf opens its eyes, leaps up and runs away down the canyon. Somewhere in its running, whether by the speed of its running or by splashing its way into a river or by way of a ray of sunlight or moonlight hitting it right in the side, the wolf is suddenly transformed into a laughing woman who runs free toward the horizon. So it is said that if you wander the desert and it is near sundown and you are perhaps a little bit lost and certainly tired, that you are lucky, for La Loba may take a liking to you and show you something, something of the soul. There is a part of you that can call back the bones you need in order to create a new life. Being crippled by doubt and fear becomes less likely, less possible when you are busy reconnecting with the parts of you and the totems in your life that make you feel connected to your own nature. Self-doubt loses much of its power when you sing over those bones and when you claim your right to be free. So keep moving. Let your wisdom and your wild nature lead you into work that is liberating for you and for others, whether that means doing new work in a new organization, in a new job or a new field, or doing your current work in a way that is more natural to you, in a way that is less civilized. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and for listening to what I had to share today. If this podcast moved you in some way, um, your rating and subscription helps it to rank more highly so that other people can find it. Um, And it would mean so much to me if you did that. 
and if you told your friends or co-workers about this work so that it can be a blessing to them as well. Take such good care. Thank you again for being here, and um, I'll be back soon. Bye.